Today, I'm here to finish off our series, Looking Back and Looking Forward, um, where we've been journeying over the last few weeks. We've been remembering, rebuilding, refocusing, and today we're going to focus on re-envisioning. For all of us, individually and together, it's been an unsettling season. It's been a really long season of our lives, and we recognise that we're all in a transition stage right now. And that can be unsettling in many ways. As a church, as we've looked through this series, we've come to the place that our vision has never changed since God started this church here in Hallfield. We're reminded of our name, Ebenezer. Thus far, the Lord has helped us. From 1 Samuel um, chapter 7, Esther expanded this Um, In the first talk of this series, I'd encourage you to go back and listen through the different talks. But today we're going to look at re-envisioning. When Jesus walked on this earth with his disciples, there was a defining moment in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. And Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus has got us. And he promises still to build his church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In other words, any opposition, any evil, anything against the kingdom of heaven will not overcome it. And that's a deep reassurance as we look back and look forward. It's the fulfilment ultimately of what we're going to delve into today in Haggai chapter 2. Um, You might want to try and find that in your um, Bible whilst you're listening or on your phone. Um, But I'll just give you a bit of context. Um, In in 586 BC, um, the the Babylonians ransacked Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple and took most of the Jews into exile. About 50 years later, Cyrus the Persian took Babylon and brought the Babylonian Empire to an end. The next year, in 538 BC, he allowed the Jews to return to their homeland and rebuild the temple at Jerusalem. So the prophets of Haggai and Zechariah, they were sent by God to assist with this rebuilding of the temple. This work began on the 24th day of the sixth month of the second year of the reign of Darius which in our dating system was the 21st of September, 520 BC. The attention to detail is immense. So you can see that there was 18 years between the return of the exiles and the rebuilding of the temple. And this prophet Haggai had four distinct messages from God. And last week, Steve focused on the first one, Today we're going to focus on the second message in Haggai chapter 2. And we read this. In the second year of King Darius, in the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, 
Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Jetiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Zodadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I have covenanted with you when you came out of Israel, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, said the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. So the context and the atmosphere that Haggai is speaking into is of discouragement and disappointment. Whether it's delays, 18 years, criticism internal and external, unrealistic timetables, comparisons, wrong views of what success looks like. All these can be seen in this rebuilding of the temple and God gets it. Straight away, He speaks into the reality of the situation by asking questions that brings up to the surface that he understands. Who of you is left to see this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? The people in their 70s could remember Solomon's temple that was destroyed 66 years earlier. Now that they are three weeks into the rebuilding effort, it's clear to them that this rebuilt temple is going to be far inferior to what they imagined the temple they once knew. And God cares that deeply that he speaks into that discouragement. As I write this, as I'm speaking it out, I'm aware this is for me. My internal critic is not healthy sometimes. And God cares. I'm struggling with disappointments, discouragements. I'm even scarred by some. So I'm not standing here in a place of strength. This is a personal word from God, speaking to us, to me, and to his church. He says in verse 4, individually to the leaders and to all the people, be strong. He gets it that it's been tough. He's speaking that over us. Be strong. We receive that it's a deep word. Not to be strong in our own strength, but in God's strength. In 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, it says, These crazy but life-altering words, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, 
so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. Crazy. In insults. Crazy. In hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Mind-blowing. For when I am weak, then I am strong. As we look back and look forward as a church, I want to highlight three things from Haggai 2. In that place of disappointment, of discouragement, what is Haggai 2 bringing to us? The landscape for us has changed. There's a lot of challenges ahead, very much like what's happening in Haggai. Nearly 10 years ago, um, I used this quote in a talk, um, and I think it's probably more relevant now than it was back then, except I thought it was really relevant then. Consumer Christianity is one of the biggest cultural challenges facing the church. Turning up to see what you can receive or what the church can do for you is opposite to the mindset that Jesus called us to have. So how do we face the ongoing challenge and what is ahead, looking forward? So firstly, there are expectations and change. God is the one speaking to his people that he will rebuild the temple. It's a prophetic message that spans centuries, that is lived out through Jesus and into the church over 2,000 years. He will build his church. In Haggai, the focus starts on the physical rebuilding, moving on to the spiritual rebuilding. In verse 6 of Haggai 2, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Bible commentators kind of differ on what this shaking of the earth and heaven and nations would look like. There could be a number of physical scenarios. But actually the, uh, the fulfilment of this prophecy is referring to when Jesus comes again. When God will shake the heavens and the earth and sort out the rebellious nations. In verse 21 and 22, but we didn't read of the same message. It says, the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tells the rubber belt, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overcome royal thrones and shatter the power and the foreign kingdoms. I will overcome chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. Raising our expectations to focus on the horizon, on the end goal, helps us deal with some discouragements of today. There is so much that can flatten us. Just take a moment. Take a moment to pause. Where are you at in this? And I pray, God, thank you, God, that you are present where there is discouragement. And we ask that you will renew a vision of Jesus today. Jesus, who conquered death, who kick-started his kingdom here on this earth, bringing it from eternity into this place on this earth. Jesus, you are present here. 
Thank you, God, for your grace that is sufficient, that will manoeuvre us into a place of hearing what you speak over us and what you speak over your church here at Ebby. Amen. Someone once said, vision starts with thinking. Grasping in our minds a picture of what could be. What is that horizon story? What is that end goal? As we look forward, we want to look forward in expectation because God is always speaking and standing on the words and the promises. We have wrestled physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally over the last 18 months. But re-envisioning ourselves means God says, we're saying to God, I place it into your hands for your kingdom's purposes and I accept change. Yay! I place into your hands for your kingdom purposes and I accept change. Expectation and change is the two sides of the same coin. One of the most remarkable examples in history of a Christian with vision but navigating change and all the sense of pressure was a guy called William Wilberforce. He became a Christian in 1785. Two years later, he gave notice in the House of Commons where he served that he would bring a motion for the abolition of the slave trade. That was in 1785. This was a hugely lucrative business that brought much income to the British economy. The British plantations in the West Indies depended on slave labour for their profits. Owning slaves was a strong cultural institution. It was an enormous task to undertake. Numerous times in Wilberforce's life, his, his life was threatened. There was political pressure to back down because of international political ramifications. For example, if Britain outlawed slavery, the West Indian colonies threatened to declare independence from Britain and associate with the United States, which still allowed slavery. But in spite of all these obstacles, Wilberforce, because of his faith, knowing God put that vision on him, persevered. And finally, on March the 25th, 1807, after 20 years of setbacks, Wilberforce prevailed when the House voted to outlaw the slave trade. But the battle wasn't over. Wilberforce battled on for the next 26 years until his death to abolish not only the slave trade, but also slavery itself. The decisive vote came on the July the 26th, 1833, just three days before Wilberforce died. After 46 years of battle, Slavery itself was outlawed in the British Empire. We still see the ripple effects in our generation. And surely we need to still carry on and see the full unlocking of that vision that Wilberforce said, had from God. It's God's church. We need to see injustice removed. And God says, be strong. That's a huge vision with expectations and a difficult journey. But you bring it back to our own context. We still have those expectations and change is ahead. Secondly, we need God. We need God and we need to get to work. 
Verse 4 says, Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Fulfilling God's vision for his church means getting to work. It's not cake on your plate while you wait stuff. God is saying he is with us and we need to get on with it. Now, this can be received in many different ways. From the feeling of being empowered by God to those who might be feeling, I've been there. I've done it. I'm tired, disillusioned, disappointed. I want to encourage you, as we come out of a pandemic, whatever the length that journey is going to be, that this is a time to see his church rebuilt. This is a time to work towards our vision of continually reproducing the life of Jesus. God consistently says he is with us. In chapter 1, verse 14, it says, So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, and they, began, they came and began the work on the house of the Lord Almighty. He was saying, get on with the work, but I am with you. That's the point. God releases his promise and says, I am with you. Get on with the work. And in verse 9 of chapter 2, it says, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. There is more to come for the people of Israel. Often in these times, it's hard to imagine and we hold on to God speaking into our lives, into the church. We know that working empowered by him is going to produce something that is way more than we can imagine. That's God's promise. It will be a greater. But we need to hold on. We need to do this side by side. Nicky Gumbel, who wrote, uh, started the Alpha course, said this, Vision without action is merely a dream. And action without vision is just passing time. Vision with action is about changing the world. Surely that's where we want to be. But we need him. We need God. We need his presence. The key to all this re-envisioning is that God says, I am with you. In chapter 1, verse 13, he says, I am with you. In chapter 2, verse 5, he says, My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Now, if I'm honest, sometimes I can identify with that. But sometimes I feel a bit more like this little boy who shouted from his bedroom, Dad, it's dark up here. His father shouted back, Don't be afraid. God is with you. After a few seconds, the boy yelled again. Get up here, Dad. I need someone with skin on. However, God says I am with you. And my spirit remains with you. And that's a promise individually, but together. But the together means that we are side by side. In Exodus chapter 33, God spoke to Moses amongst all his fears of leading and not knowing what is ahead. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. It's a common theme right throughout the Bible, right throughout history. 
God speaking to his people and saying, my presence goes with you. A challenge that um, this old writer wrote many years ago called A.W. Tozer. And he said, if the Holy Spirit, God's presence, was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we would do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. The global church at Ebby, we have an opportunity to be united together. That's where God commands a blessing in vision, letting his presence define us and shape us. This is an opportunity. And as I come to finish, I hinted actually this is, this is a reality that we long to know God's presence to empower and shape us and lead us. But we need each other. We need people with skin on too. And I want to remind us um, of a short verse in Matthew 11. That when it is really tough, this is what God says to us. He says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you will learn to live freely and lightly. God is close to all, especially the brokenhearted. We need to be reminded of that and know and feel and encounter his presence. Life is messy, but God is close. God is close. And I come back to Haggai in verse 9, where it says the glory of his present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. We see in Jesus the fulfillment of this. We look to him with expectation to lead us into all that is next for every church, guiding us through change, reassuring us as we work, rebuilding his church, knowing his presence by his Holy Spirit is shaping and empowering us. Let's be a church that prays into that. We're heading towards a corner, a corner into a new season, but we do this together and we look out for each other. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for all those wherever we're at, listening, watching, that you would be the one that alters our expectations to see you, Jesus. That you would be the one that helps us navigate the change. That you would be the one who empowers us to get to work. And that we would all know that your presence goes with us. When life is messy, when life is good, your presence is there. 
thank you. In Jesus' name.